Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It is Thursday, May 13th, 2010, at least in the United States. It is, I think, for Aaron, it must be Friday morning in China. And Laura, you're in Canada, right? So you're Thursday with the rest of us. Yep. <laughs> or some of the rest of us. We'll put up a little map and let people check and see where they are. So this is a fun night. We have uh, Aaron and Laura from Think Global School. I've really been looking forward to this. Welcome to the two of you. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Sure, glad to have you here. Oh, look, Lebanon. Okay, so uh, a Future of Education is sponsored by Illuminate, and the project that I work on for Illuminate is called Learn Central. It's a free social network for educators with Illuminate baked in. We hope you'll come and take a look. Coming up on the Future of Education next week, Charles Fidel talks about school architecture in the context of 21st century skills, and Michael Furtick on taking it global. Kathy Davidson the week after on her uh, report, The Future of Thinking. Uh, and then in June, Elizabeth Kana and Jennifer Openshaw both on sort of students 2.0 topics, and you can see lots more fun ahead. Uh, different fun subjects. Really looking forward to this, the next few months of these interviews. If you've missed an interview, the recordings are posted, all except John Taylor Gatto. That uh, recording we're still waiting to process. It got uh, lost on a server, but we know that it's been found and we'll get up. Uh, Leonard Wax um, earlier this week, Seth Godin, and uh, Anya Kamenet, a DIYU. Those are both up. Jackie Gerstein, Randy Orwin, lots of fun stuff. So we hope you'll look. Uh, Ken Robinson still holds the record number of attendees, and I'm sure that uh, particular recording gets listened to quite a bit. Okay, uh, well in line with tonight's topic, we have started the Students 2.0 network at students20.com. Uh, Jackie Gerstein and Jenny Luke are kind of spearheading that, but it's a place for students to get together with educators outside of traditional educational boundaries and work on uh, educational topics. So I encourage you to send your students there or go there yourself. The Saturday before the ISTE show, that Saturday is June 26th in Denver, Colorado, is EduBloggerCon, the all-day unconference for social media and education. We hope you'll come. It's free, and it's a lot of fun. Also that day, for the first time ever, OpenSourceCon, an all-day unconference on open source software in K-12. And the big news this week, our Global Education Conference. Um, we made our first official announcements. An incredible number of great partner organizations are going to be participating in this. This is in November. Those organizations include COSIN, IRON, Asia Society, uh, maybe even Think Global School. We'll see. But that's November 15 to 19, 2010. Uh, we put up an initial sign up for interest and or volunteering. We had over 1,000 people sign up in, in just a day and a half. So we expect this to be a really fun event, all about global education, helping to help people make connections globally. If this is your first time at Illuminate, oh, I'm going to put the link up too for that survey. If you want to sign up to let us know you're interested in the conference or in volunteering, there you go. If this is your first time at Illuminate, this is a participative environment. Uh, I'm going to recommend that you go up to View Layouts and switch to the Wide Layout. That will let you see the chat a little bit better. You'll notice uh, that in the bottom of the participant window, you have some emoticons. They allow you to clap, a smiley face, a confused look, or a thumbs down. We will let you ask questions tonight. So that hand with the green up arrow will let you raise your hand, and you can actually ask for the microphone. Um, before you do that, though, go up to Tools, Audio, and run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure your mic is working. 
Um, and now we're going to let you actually let us know where you're listening from on the map. Should be a fun night. So you click on the wand with the red star at the end to the left of the map, and then you click on the map. And you're going to have to help by shouting out in the chat also as well. So I don't know if that's China or South Korea. Is, th is that you, Aaron? Did you put a star up already? No, I think that's my good friend uh, Tim from Seoul. Oh, good. Okay, well, no surprise to have an international audience tonight. I don't see um, Iraq up or Lebanon. There you go. Okay, what a lot of fun. So wherever you're listening from or if you're listening to the recording, we're sure glad to have you here. Okay, so Aaron and Laura, uh, let's start by having each of you, if you don't mind, introducing yourselves. Um, obviously, school, well, we'll talk about the school will start in September, so you've obviously been doing things uh, in your lives before this moment. So Aaron, can we start with you and give us a little bit of your background? <coughs> Absolutely. Uh, we've been up and running uh, full time at Think Global School, building this this uh, really interesting we think project for the last 19 months. Uh, before Think Global School, I was the assistant head of school at Appleby College in Toronto, where I was responsible for the global efforts and admissions and doing a lot of fundraising, particularly in Asia. Uh, that's a little bit my, my background, and uh, I guess pass it over to Laura. Tell us about you. Wow. Well, I've been with Think Global since about November, and it's probably uh, one of the most innovative, exciting projects that I have been involved in, and find it uh, particularly just, you know, for where education is right now, that that part I really, really am enjoying. Prior to that, well, I lived overseas in three different countries um, as well, and I lived in South Africa, Malaysia, Zimbabwe, and that alone... Uh, I guess brings a perspective because I've worked with kids from all over the world. Um, director of uh, secondary private girls school last year, and that was uh, well. Don't ask me what happened there. Did and, something happen, um, Laura? Yeah, that's okay. Gone now. <laughs> okay, so when you and, close um, that, you close that browser window. It closed it for everybody because you now have moderator privileges. So we'll put yes. it back up in a minute. But that's the the website for the school. It does have background music, yes. so we'll pull yes. wait and put it up in a second. But keep going. Okay. Um, and um, prior to that, well, and, and so I've been doing consulting for the last few years, and uh, have I te I've taught it as well at McGill University in their inclusive education program and at Vanier College. So been involved in education for almost 30 years and loving every moment. Okay, so what can you tell me about Joanne and, and how the school got started? Yeah, I can tell you that story. It's actually a very interesting story. So uh, our founder, Joanne McPike, uh, she is uh, actually a really wonderful photographer. And uh, a few years ago, probably about three years ago now, she was sitting with uh, one of our board members and her husband. 
in New York City having just looked at a bunch of boarding schools for their child. Uh, our founders live in, in Nassau in the Bahamas. And as some of you probably know, uh, almost everybody in the Bahamas ends up leaving for boarding school when it's time to go to high school. So they looked at a bunch of schools uh, in the United States and Canada. And they thought that the schools that they'd seen were good schools. But they didn't think that they found a school that was sufficiently global in scope. So they, you know, half jokingly that day said, uh, well, you know, why don't we start our own school? And that, you know, but almost three years later, it turned into a reality. Um, that, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to create a school that would give kids, bring first of all, bring kids together from all over the world, kids and teachers, and give them a truly global experience. And I'm sure Laura will have a chance to talk about this later. But you know, the school isn't just the boarding school on wheels. It's kind of a lot more than that. But that was their vision: was to create a truly global school. So I'm kind of intrigued at how I reacted personally to the idea of the school. You know, I think I heard about it, you know, some number of months ago, and you know, kind of revisiting it this week in preparation for the interview, I realized that this doesn't seem nearly as far out as it did even six months ago. It it feels much more like it's sensible. Did you all feel that three years ago, Aaron, or is there also sort of the growing sense that this makes this makes more and more sense as we sort of think about the world in a much smaller way. Well, yeah, it does. And it's funny because, you know, over the, the past 19 months, you know, we've had conversations from everybody, with everybody from, you know, literally Queen, Queen Noor of Jordan to presidents of universities. And it was, it's amazing to see the shift in dialogue, the shift in conversation from, oh, what a wonderful concept if this thing ever opens to now hey, this is really cool. I wonder what kind of synergies there are between Think Global School and the plans that we have in, in our city, in our country, in our part of the world. Um, I, I do agree. Things change so quickly in the world and in global education. Um, this is my 55th trip to China. I'm in Beijing right now, as you know. And over the years that I've come to China, you know, I saw an evolution in this place from everybody dressed in their Mao greens and grays, to Beijing being one of the fashion capitals of the world now. So everything does accelerate. I think that your observation is right on. Well, and in line with that, it was very interesting for me to look and think, okay, only 15 students? Wait a minute. Only 15 students? Uh, isn't this going to become this huge need for students to do this kind of activity? Yeah, and you know, I think one of the things that we're also hoping is that we can model for other schools, whether they're like ours or not, to take so much of what we're putting together and learn from our ideas of how students can learn differently, how we can make global education not just happen when we move kids around from country to country, but a lot of the concepts and the ideas can be integrated into other schools who are not even moving around. And I think that's one of the exciting things that we're looking at when we look at synergy, when we look at sharing what we're learning with other you know, schools, organizations, and for our students to be sharing with other students right from the beginning. I like what my friend Tomas uh, from, from uh, Bogota just wrote. He just wrote that global education is the only way for the future. And part of it, yes, it is true that in the first year we're going to have only 15 kids. That will grow. But what's really important is what we're able to do in creating permanent links 
between the host schools that take us in in each of the cities that we go to uh, through the education of teachers uh, in a truly global and truly collaborative sense. So yeah, I mean, we're starting small because if we don't get this right in the beginning, then you jeopardize the project. But this is, is going to seriously scale up into something. And as you said a few minutes ago, Steve, I can't tell you exactly what this is going to be a year from now, but it's going to be an evolution of the concept and the process. Okay, so we're getting a couple of questions in the chat, and we don't have to go too deeply into this, but this is a, this is a private nonprofit school, 15 students. I, I, I can't imagine what you would have to charge to actually cover the expenses of this kind of experiment. So is this getting funded to some degree by the founders? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, I, I have to laugh. Okay, our tuition, you know, I think it's, I'm not here to sell anything to anybody. I'm chatting with a, with a bunch of my, my global friends that I know from Twitter and Illuminate and everywhere. Tuition at Think Global School is 88000 U.S. a year. Now, that being said, we have a huge amount of scholarship available. So we have students during the first year who are ranging from paying the full $88,000 tuition to coming on a full scholarship. Uh, we are actually very well funded. Uh, we're going to be well funded for the future. Uh, so basically what, what's happening in practice is that parents are paying tuition at Pink Global School on what we think is a very forward-looking sliding scale. We have not turned away a student from Think Global School because they couldn't afford to come. And Steve, where we are so far, you know, our class is, is essentially full for the first year, 15 kids. We've had 270 applications so far. We've not said to one family, wow, you've got an outstanding kid. We'd love to have him or her, but you can't come because you can't afford the school. And that's not what TGS is all about. So how, uh, I'm glad to hear that you've got the full complement of 15. I'm kind of stunned to hear the actual dollar value because that's not, uh, I hadn't come across that anywhere else. But obviously there are people who feel like if, even if they have to pay the full board that that's worth it. So how selective was it to get to those 15? Uh, and how did they have to qualify? Laura, do you want to talk about that a little, a little bit? Kind of what we were looking for in our kids or would you like me to? Go ahead. No, I'll, let me start and then you can jump in. I think one of the key things that we were looking for was that, you know, we're not just looking for your, you know, straight A student. We were looking more at diverse qualities, something that stood out about the student, and it could be maybe a creative, maybe the way their leadership. So it wasn't just straight, oh, we want only straight A kids. And we were also looking for kids that they themselves were the ones that felt like this is something I want to participate in. I want to be engaged in this kind of learning. So a lot of it was driven from the students themselves. Like we had one student that followed Aaron the minute he heard about TGS and was right on to his parents. Uh, and he is, in fact, one of our students because he did all the, the footwork. So to us, that was a really interesting aspect. And then we, I think what was also important is that the kids came from everywhere. So we have 15 students, but they're coming from something like 13 different countries. So we are truly global, even in our very smallness. Okay. And now, our faculty as well. But these kids are all kids who would be entering the ninth grade or an equivalent grade. So uh, they're pretty young. 
Do you, uh, as I read through the FAQ material, I almost felt like there, there were some things that hadn't fully been settled yet, like where they will stay or to what degree they'll, they'll stay potentially with host families or in a particular place. But, but you've got to be thinking about the age of these kids and uh, expectations by the parents and concerns about safety. So how have you addressed that? Yeah, I can handle that one. Um, and <laughs> it's always funny because a conversation about security that goes anything beyond the superficial negates security. <laughs> so I can only tell you things generally. Uh, we have absolutely taken security considerations into effect. Now, you know, our first three cities are Stockholm, which, which as I wrote before, is as much home to me now as anywhere else, and Sydney, Australia, and Beijing. And when you think about the scope of the world and the kind of perceived range between safe and unsafe places, these are pretty safe places. But you have to remember that a school like Think Global School is probably the first school in the world that exists on two planes. We exist in a physical plane as a real school that travels, but we also exist on the Internet. So there are always security issues in every single thing that we do. Um, the parents, you know, everybody in the community is assured that we've taken care of security considerations, which we have, uh, and we've got great people who work with us and consult with us on this end. Uh, but, you know, any time in life that you travel, any time in life that you undertake a venture like this, you've got to weigh in security, but you also don't want to be paralyzed by fear in doing the things that you want to do to become global citizens and to build the body of experiences that make that happen. So Laura, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, what you're hoping will happen in terms of that interaction on the web and what, what the student's participation will be like and how, you know, sort of how, how much they'll be interacting publicly as a part of their experience? Well, I think, you know, just to give you an example, uh, in every host school, one of the first things that uh, we're trying to do is hook our students up with even the students within the school so that there starts to be some kind of collaboration. And we want that collaboration to continue even after they've left that school so that we're starting before they enter and we're hoping to continue with it. But beyond that, we're also looking at collaborative opportunities as an example. And uh, there's a local high school in Beijing that our students will be doing Mandarin and English lesson exchanges via the web to Skype first for you know, six months before they even get to Beijing. And then when they get to Beijing, They'll continue doing it, but then they can do it live and in person. So I'm looking at all kinds of opportunities in each country, within each host school, at ways to interact, ways for the continued interaction to happen after they've left that school, so that really uh, you're looking at lifelong opportunities for these students, and that they'll have a, a, you know, a connection beyond those three months, because three months goes quickly. I mean, having lived overseas, I know that. And I guess in that respect, I take a lot of what I learned uh, from previous places and say, you know, how can we get these kids to interact globally while they're there and then after as well? And for the teachers to be doing the same. So it's not just our students, but I'd say all of TGS is thinking that way, every single one of us. So. Um MB was asking about the keyboard, and that's actually Aaron typing responses. And I would rather that he were typing responses and we could hear the clicking than to not have him interacting in the chat. So hopefully you'll put up with that and accept it as a cost of his active participation. 
Hey, well, I'm looking at the page on the website that's called Students' Voice, and thinking, uh, you know, that th you're at some. And I think you also mentioned actually streaming out some sessions. So in addition to the students interacting with the other students and and the mentors that they're going to be associating with, is there an expectation they'll also sort of be publicly documenting what's taking place? Totally. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I'll give you a little example of that. So I was going to give you a little example. Mike Hauerheim, who's our uh, chief technical officer, uh, just left Beijing a, a little while ago for some meetings in Hong Kong, and then um, the uh, the special conference that's happening in Malaysia with Mike Searson. So Mike and I went to the Great Wall on Sunday, and if you go to blog.thinkbubbleschool.com/blog, uh, um, Mike and I actually live streamed on Sunday from the Great Wall to actually do a beta test. Because these are the kind of things that we're going to do all over the world with the kids. So the kids and the teachers, and I actually know that I have at least one Think Global School teacher in the audience right now. These these people are going to be great producers as well as consumers of uh, of content. So yeah, I mean that's part of the responsibility of being TGS is that to an extent you're leading a very public global life, and to an extent part of what we do is private. And the, so, and then we're going to go ahead. Oh no, please go ahead, Laura. No, and I was just going to add, but and so that's one of the key first things that our students are going to learn, even though some of them are, you know, they're coming with a huge range and diversity of skills. So I think that's the other part is that we're accepting kids that we know are coming in with a whole range of, you know, even uh, skills in terms of blogging or taking photos and using uh, computers and going to be training them. So it's a real integral part of their whole experience. Um, so that each kid will feel very comfortable sharing their learning with the world. And, and I think that's a, a very fundamental premise of what we are aiming to do. So Mark asked the question in the chat. Um, he was interested in the curriculum question as well. Does the school start from the notion of having broad-based global capability, skills, aptitudes, or the curriculum? I think he means does the curriculum start? With that assumption, or you know, to what degree are you going to need, feel like you need to be teaching that? I think we're we're. If I understand the question correctly, is, is are we starting with the idea that our kids will maybe ask him? I didn't get that question. If he can rephrase it, that would help me. Okay, Mark, go ahead and put understand. that. Go ahead and put that back in the chat, Mark. You do it. I I think what he's asking is. Um, to what degree will the curriculum center on those global capabilities? Okay. Well, yeah. well, it certainly, as even the way we've designed uh, our schedule, the curriculum, it is definitely going to have a very global perspective. And we're doing, uh, you know, if you think of it through the lens of cultural anthropology, that is sort of the direction that we have taken that because we're moving, our students are going to really learn, do so much of their learning with that kind of a lens, a cultural lens uh, that they'll, as we move from country to country. And the curriculum is built with that premise. And the idea that by the end of, you know, the, even the first year, our students are going to have an understanding of the world by, by having a deep understanding of each country and look at the, you know, the comparisons and the contrasts and, you know, and even the way we've designed the essential questions takes that into account. So in that respect, yes, very much that the curriculum is looking at it from a very global perspective. 
So I had a very interesting uh, background in this area. I spent a year in Brazil as an exchange student when I was in high school. And then my first job after college was I led group tours for five years for Stanford University. And um, it was very interesting to travel as a tour manager because I was always actively involved with the local uh, tour guides and organizations. So I traveled the world, but I was actively working at the time. And I actually think that was enormously to my benefit. So Aaron, in reading your bio, I get the sense that you are really committed to sort of core concepts of philanthropy and awareness and service. So are, are you looking at ways of having the students interact in those kind of genuine, authentic uh, roles to, to have them bring that back with them? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I love the fact that you use the words genuine and authentic. To me, and I know it's the same thing with Laura and everybody who's involved with Think Global School, including our founders who funded Think Global School, true, genuine, real philanthropy, service involvement is as much a part of a school like Think Global School as, you know, math, science, art, and Spanish. It has to be. Because if we talk about building true connections throughout the world, you know, I don't love to use the term experiential learning. I really prefer to kind of rephrase it as learning through experience. The experience of service is absolutely fundamental. I know, Laura, with your experiences all over the world, particularly South Africa and Zimbabwe, you might want to add something about that as well. Well, I think one of the first things is that, you know, in some schools, uh, service is an add-on. And then Think Global is an integral part of. So when we even look at how we develop our schedule, we did it very, very differently so that we could focus and give time. And I think that's a central part is to give time so that the students can do service and meaningful service. And so we're also checking with people that are living there. So it's not just us coming with our ideas, but asking locals and a lot of the people that we now connect with in each country what are some of the key areas that our students could provide and, you know, become part of, of the service there? And so that uh, it's important that we just don't go in with our ideas, but that we're asking, how can we be of service? Um, and, that, and that's uh, an important part. And certainly, you know, being part of the IB for 10 years, the International Baccalaureate Program, where service is also part of the program, you really get to understand and appreciate how how integral that is to kids developing uh, a, a real understanding and appreciation for that part of themselves as they grow up. So yeah, no, I'm, I, I think this is a really important part. So Sally's wondering if you could give an example of what that service might be. I'm typing. There we go. <laughs> Okay, so I want to read some phrases from your from the website that have kind of a dreamlike quality to them, and and uh, uh, um, it feels almost like magic that you can actually do this. But the copy was so intriguing to me. So uh, to develop the future Socrates of the world, globally dedicated citizens who want to make a deep and long-lasting contribution to society, problem solvers who pause for thought, appreciate different perspectives, and seek common ground with those they encounter. Humans who not only know how to play nice in the sandbox, they know how sand is formed and can identify its origins. Okay, who takes credit for that brilliant copy? There you go. <laughs> um, 
No. The thing is, yes, I mean, we're talking about two separate things here. You know, the conversation today revolves around the reality of Think Global School. Uh, but, you know, a school like ours that's receiving lots of global attention has a multitude of different audiences. So we actually do have a really good copywriter. Her name is Jody, and she does uh, really fantastic work. I don't know if Jody would agree that she's well paid, but thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Durr. Um, and that's, uh, that's where that comes from. Um, but no, I, I, think, I think the words that, that she wrote um, do reflect the, the individual reality of what we're going to do and the collective reality in, in um, getting involved in so many different projects around the world with people with whom we work. So uh, I'm going to read one more phrase. When a student graduates from TGS, they will know that humanity and humility are as necessary as an understanding of history. So for the two of you, is this a little bit like a dream job? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think you, you've said it very well. Because, you know, you get, what we're doing is taking, I think, some of the, the most salient parts of what we think education can be. And it's that key word, what education can do for our future generation, and actually making it happen. So it's very different than reading about, you know, 21st century learners. We're, we're creating those learners in, in this kind of a school. And that to me is the dream. So, um, yeah, go ahead, Aaron, please go ahead. No, no, please, go ahead, you go ahead. I was going to ask Laura, so um, what about accreditation? Are the kids who are entering in, are they even going to need to worry about getting a traditional degree? But if they are, will they be able to get a traditional degree from the school? Absolutely. Well, we're WASC accredited. And we are also going to be, we're an IB world school, so the students will graduate with uh, an IB diploma. So not only will they have their world experience, but they will also have the IB diploma. And I, I know how well uh, valued and you know, universities look upon that. And then we're also creating very uh, alive portfolios that the students will be able to use when it comes for them to do college applications. So that is going to be something that the portfolio students start with in grade nine, and any of the students that hopefully graduate with us will have quite a rich and robust portfolio to share with any college anywhere in the world that they'll apply to. So I think that combination plus their very unique experiences uh, will make them highly regarded and sought after. Okay, so um, I, uh, Sally asked again about the example of service projects, and I reposted Aaron's reply. And Sally, okay, it looks like you're satisfied there. So uh, which one of you would like to describe what's actually going to happen this coming year? You want to start, Aaron, and I'll jump in? <laughs> it's funny, but okay, I, I'll definitely want to do that. Um, absolutely. So, okay, so we start off in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, honestly, I, I'm very, I'm very kind of Sweden biased, but uh, it's a fantastic place. And uh, our faculty arrived for um, their second orientation. Um, you should also know we did something I think a little bit cutting edge is that we brought all of our faculty together in New York City in April so that they could get to know each other and we could begin to orient them before the next faculty orientation uh, in August. And since April, our faculty have actually been working really hard with us, which has been great. So the kids arrive in Stockholm. 
Um, we really see the entire first month. Laura's building this great first month where we actually are learning and we are in school, but there are also elements of a larger orientation as well. Uh, and then we're there until uh, just before the holiday break at, at Christmas. Uh, the kids get about three and a half weeks off. Every single student, whether they're full pay or whether they're scholarship, gets to go home at Christmas and gets to go home at March break. We want to make sure that as we create this culture of, for lack of a better term, global nomads, the kids also are able to reconnect at home. And that's really, really important. So they get to go home at Christmas time, they get to go home at March break, they get to go home during the summers for a couple of months. So then after Christmas, we, we head to Sydney, Australia. Um, we're not intentionally following the sun, but we're going to be in Sydney in a beautiful hot time of year. Uh, and then after the, after the break, we head to, after the March break, we head to Beijing. So that's the way it works. Um, and, it's, and Laura can talk a little bit more about how the curriculum actually fits those cities. The big danger of a project like Think Global School is that we're just a school that travels. And if we were just a school that travels, then, then, then I don't really see the point. Yeah, and I'll just add a couple things there in that, uh, you know, one of the, I'd say, unique things that we're also doing is I'm working one-on-one -on -one with each new faculty member just to help build curriculum because I take the wide-angle lens and make sure to connect all the dots and do things like, so it's not just a string of experiences because that would make it just a string of experiences. And I'm working uh, really hard to integrate the entire curriculum and look for common threads throughout the three countries, look through so that there are some common themes that the students will keep revisiting in each country. So some of the kinds of questions that the students will look at in September in Stockholm, they will revisit those same questions in Beijing and Sydney and each time go into greater depth. So even the fact that I get to work with each faculty member alone is, I'd say, pretty cutting edge and different so that they're not just told, go and develop a curriculum, uh, but I'm guiding and directing them and making sure that we're putting the pieces together. And that's pretty exciting. So what, what kind of uh, local faculty will you be using in each of those cities? Local that's a really good question. Yeah, that's a good question. And there's, and there's kind of two prongs to that. The first thing is, is the model, you know, we're not, we're not physically building bricks and mortar schools all over the world um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, my own feeling, so this is, I have a very good friend in Stockholm, and she loves to say, my mind is mine and mine only. So this next statement is an Aaron Solomon statement, not a Think Global School statement. <laughs> I think that bricks and mortar schools are not the way of the future. They're the way of the past. I think that schools of the future are going to be light and agile. And I think that we're a model, not the model, but we're a model for that. So we have host schools take us in, in each of the cities that, that, we, that we stop in uh, for the trimester. So our faculty interact with the faculty at these local schools, which is, I think, really amazing. It gives them an opportunity to do ongoing professional development, and more importantly, build this really large and hopefully dynamic circle of educators. So that's the first part of the answer. And then I'll let uh, Laura jump in. Yeah, and I think the, the other part that we're doing as well one second. Uh, Aaron, I, did, I, I lost you there for a second, the last part of what you just said. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I was just talking about the fact that we'd be interacting with these, with these faculty all over the world. That's all. 
Yeah, okay, now I heard you. So one of the things that I've done just as, as I've gone, because I've already gone to Stockholm, I'm going off to Beijing as well, and as I meet the people from the host school, I do things like making, I start making connections. So already our teachers are going to start connecting with the host school, with the faculty there, and then not only that, but we are looking for a lot of opportunities to connect with people locally in each city as well. And so we have someone on the ground working with us, working with me when I'm there to find local opportunities and local experts. And that part I think is also pretty unique. We want the students to really get to know the people in each city who can offer some insights. We're doing things like we have someone right uh, the first week we land in Stockholm, we have someone coming in to do a cultural talk. We have this great event where they're doing um, cooking, Swedish cooking, but it's, you know, set up in a very unique way. So someone who, uh, you know, is a Swedish cook, but the kids are going to be involved in that right from, the, from even planting the vegetables, picking theirs locally in Stockholm, and then cooking it. Looking at what makes sense in each city, and then who can help us uh, make those kinds of connections. So, you know, in, in Stockholm, they're going to be biking uh, from here to there because there's tons of bike paths. Whereas in Beijing, you know, they'll be exposed to Tai Chi from a local expert there. So part of what we do is also really research each city and look for connections in each city that we can, you know, make those kinds of uh, connections, not just for ourselves, but the students as well. So, uh, Catherine, and Catherine, is, is Matt your nickname? Because I didn't know that about you. But Catherine is a student herself, and she's asking the age regulations for joining as a student. I think the hidden context there, she's wondering if she would qualify. So my understanding <laughs> is this year it's ninth grade. Then next year, your ninth graders would move up to the equivalent of 10th grade. So you have a new ninth grade class. Will you expand beyond that, that next year, do you think? Yeah, well, next year, um, so we're going to, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, so next year, we're going to have the, a new grade 9 coming in, plus our students that will be going into grade 10. And each year, we plan to add another group of students. That's the thinking, pretty much. So Caroline says, as she listens to the details, it seems to her that this is just going to be one type of model fitting certain kinds of students. What kinds of lessons do you think you're learning by having this opportunity to actually kind of reshape the school experience? Are there things that you're learning that, that are actually broader than this particular model? And, and if you, for some reason, couldn't participate next year and think global school, what would you do differently wherever you were? You know, one of the first things that comes to my mind is um, that there's a lot of opportunities within every single city that schools are not making enough use of. The city itself is a huge opportunity for learning, but typically what most schools do is they take their students on an outing, usually separate from the learning that's considered a break or an add-on. And if I just look at all the museums and universities and people in universities and just being going outside their school, uh, there would be a world of opportunity of learning that would be much more hands-on and with active engagement from the students themselves. And so I don't think schools are doing enough on that in that whole area there. I'm actually kind of stunned by that answer. 
because of its obviousness and the degree yeah. to which it didn't occur to me. So yes, it's like living in, I live in Sacramento and I never go to the things that you would do in Sacramento. It's as though I, you know, I could live in LA for all that matters because we, you know, we end up going to the same places. So part of what I hear you saying is you've had the perspective of thinking about going to a new place and how would you involve that community and, and then kind of brilliantly, oh, well, that could actually be done anywhere. Yeah, and, and you know, I just read this really wonderful one-year study that was done at the uh, Harvard Project Zero where they looked at two of their museum study centers and to see the kind of learning that can go on just in, you know, where, where they're situated at these two uh, museums. And they found the learning was far beyond even their own expectations because of the active engagement and involvement and curiosity. And you know, when we think of Ken Robinson and what he keeps saying that we keep killing creativity and how we need to put that back into schools, uh, I think that, that, told, that tells me something as well. And I would have to say that we should be looking beyond to see how other places use even their cities. Uh, I, I was actually blown away by how Stockholm has museums that are so educationally centered and they have put so much, uh, I guess, money into making sure that museums are huge centers of learning in Stockholm. So I, in that respect, I say, well, I wonder how much more other cities can be learning from the ones that we say, you know, this is a flagship, the way they've done it, and other places can learn from how they've managed just their museums alone. And Stockholm has got 80, over 80 museums, you know, similar to Washington, D.C., uh, but even more integrated because they become, they're part of the curriculum in Stockholm. Aaron, any additional response there? No, I think, Laura, I think Laura said that very, very well. Of course, the caveat is, <laughs> you know, we're not a museum school. We're a school that interacts no. with everything, uh, everything in the city. Uh, and, you know, I don't think that every city in the world is ready for or receptive to Think Global School, but the responses that we've had from many, many cities, far more than 12, have really been fantastic. Uh, we get contact almost every week from cities saying, hey, have you thought about us? Uh, as a potential TGS city, not because they're looking to bring in, you know, massive amounts of revenue by having us in their school, as much as they see, um, as I said in one of the notes I typed earlier, bridges that can be built um, and they can become a gateway for education. One of the things we look for in the cities that we choose as host cities is I like to define them as, as international gateway cities. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of differentiate why we would choose a city or be interested in one city and not another. But we're looking at cities that have a great forward-looking view um, as opposed to cities uh, that are really looking toward the past. And also, for the record, it's not just about cities. Um, you know, we're going to get out of the cities as well and take trips and go into the countryside. Uh, actually, in Stockholm last week, I took a beautiful trip to see some very good friends of the school in an island on the way to Finland, and we're going to take our kids there. Uh, and I can't wait to do that with the kids. It's really amazing. Okay, we're going to switch the Q&A, actually audience Q&A, because I've been doing plenty of the Q here. We're going to switch the audience Q&A. Uh, Sally's asking, why no USA city? And I'm smiling, but what's I'm the answer right to that? Uh, here's the answer. <laughs> Steve, we're, so we're, we're on, on the same, same wavelength, wavelength here. 
how funny. Okay, so Washington and New York City are on the radar. Hey, there was a question earlier that actually kind of piqued my interest as well, which was, what about romance? Have you defined policies around that? Have you kind of negotiated that territory at all? Oh, that, 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 that's really funny. Um, <laughs> I was just typing a note about that. Um, look. You know, what we like to do, we like to think of a Think Global School is that um, a couple things. First of all, I think as someone who's been in boarding schools for about 25 years, what boarding schools are sometimes very good at are making rules that are totally unenforceable. So the first thing is where we are, parents are aware of the fact that local rules apply. We're, our kids aren't old enough at this point, but I think it's totally unrealistic to have 16 and 17 year olds somewhere like Barcelona or Munich where local kids are allowed to go for a beer and you tell your kids that you can't have a beer until you're 21 years old because you're from Houston. And in Houston, you, know, you can't drink until you're 21. So here in Barcelona, you have to follow the same rule. You make rules that are unenforceable, then, then you're in, in a position where you know, you're going to have to have discipline that doesn't make any sense. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's kind of my, my first part of the answer. Um, as far as romance goes, what are you going to say? You know, people are people, kids are kids, right? I think it's going to be very difficult. And I think this is a real issue. I'm not as worried about the romance part of things. I mean, maybe I'm being naive, but again, I've seen a lot of things in my life and my career. But what I'm more concerned about is as the kids build relationships, whatever form these relationships take, it's important that these relationships can become lasting relationships even when the kind of um, you know, daily contact that kids have with other kids isn't there. Um, I was speaking of that, of course, in a non-romantic context. <laughs> yeah, but I, would, I would just add that I think more than the romance part, because they are kind of young still, but I think the challenge will be in the first few months is just uh, settling down to that kind of a lifestyle and the moving because for me one of the things I look at is they're changing so much within themselves because they're at a huge time of change within and their outside life is also in constant change. So I think when you're going through that much, romance might take us to the backstage at least for the first few months. So Deborah asks, of the 15 you admitted, how many are boys and how many are girls? Aaron's saying yeah. equal. Um, 15 <laughs> yeah, equally divided by two? No, it's like we're going to be like eight and seven. Okay, if you'd like to ask a question and by using the microphone, please feel free to use the icon. It's the hand with the green up arrow at the bottom of your participant box. That will let you take the mic or you can put your question in the chat. Again, we're talking to Aaron and Laura from Think Global School. Okay, so it doesn't look like we've gotten a question yet. Okay, so how do you set rules to get romance to take a back seat? So I think you're being questioned, Laura, on whether or not actually romance will go away for those first few months. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I, I don't think you can predict whether it will go away or not, but when I... Uh, you know, when I think of a hierarchy of what is important, the kids need to feel a sense of belonging and first, and whether romance goes in that or not, you know, we'll handle things as they come along. You know, I don't think we can predict, to be honest. Um, my experience in being overseas and even with, you know, all the associations with boarding schools, I don't, I don't see that as a problem. I think as anything, we'll deal with it as it comes along. 
So I understand the romance issue is no different from a boarding school. Um, cool. uh, you know, there was a question here about that uh, project, Harvard's Project Zero article. I don't know, Laura, if you actually have a link to that or can give more information, but someone was asking I will here. definitely, I'll send a link. So a pie in the sky. Uh, you're, you have a student who in 10 years was part of your first graduating class of Think Global School. Uh, what, you, what difference are you hoping they'll make in the world? You want to take that one, Aaron? You want to Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what difference do we hope a Think Global School person will make in the world? Uh, we, would, we would hope and expect that by the time a kid graduates from TGS, that they'll be able to speak somewhere like Davos. And I know that seems very, very lofty, but imagine coming to a school like ours, if you stay the entire four years, you study in 12 different cities, you really get a sense of the world, you get a sense of what it is to be a social entrepreneur, which is something that we're going to focus on as well. I think by that point, when you graduate high school and you're ready to move on to university, you've got a pretty good sense of the world and a pretty good sense of yourself. Um, I, I think you'll be a fairly evolved, reasonably evolved, uh, global citizen who by that point sees a lot of places as being home. Um, so we want kids to feel comfortable about themselves, comfortable about their experience and vision in the world, and then it's very, very important that they make a difference both in their home communities and throughout the world. I really don't, it doesn't really fit within my vision and with our vision to take a student from somewhere like um, Ethiopia as an example. Um, have them come to Think Global School, go on with their lives, and never want to be, as I said before, and somebody picked on this, a positive agent of change for, for society in Ethiopia. Thinking about uh, my year in Brazil, which was in 1978 and 79, and I, truthfully, I don't really stay in touch with, other than the family I lived with, I don't stay in touch with any of my friends because there wasn't a mechanism for really staying in touch other than writing letters, and I wasn't very good at that. But these kids are going to develop a network of friends all over the world. That seems pretty substantive. Yeah, and I think, you know, having lived overseas, uh, you know, for 10 years, I think one of the things that you, you learn very quickly is when you're put into a unique situation uh, and these students are going to be in a unique situation, the bonds become very deep because they, they're not within their own culture, their own norm, their own way of usually doing things and living. So they become close amongst themselves. And then you're, they're also getting a chance to connect with all these other students and have connections with them. So I see two different kinds of connections happening, a very deep one with the group of students from TGS, and all these web kind of connections that they will develop in each of the places. And with the students the way they are today, I, I certainly see my son and daughter are, you know, they grew up overseas, and they stay uh, very connected with quite a number of students with this lovely ability to move around the world anytime they want to travel because they know kids all over the place. And, and it happens in a different way than perhaps our generation, uh, that's for sure. Let me add just one thing to that. I've got a, a very close friend in Stockholm who runs a business uh, that translates into the term soft landings. And she's working with a remarkable number of third culture kids who have left Sweden uh, to go to other countries and are now coming back to Sweden 
and reintegrating into uh, into Swedish culture. You know, this is something, as Steve said, it's funny when you look at things that may not have been viable or may not have happened realistically six months ago. But not only in Sweden, but all over the world, uh, kids who are third culture kids are close to that. Uh, it's a massive number. Um, it really, really is. Okay, well, we've only got a couple of minutes left because I have to actually close five minutes early tonight. So uh, final questions for Aaron or Laura. I'm going to give you a little early clapping here just to let you know how much I appreciate you coming on. So Aaron, I don't know how many hours you've gone without sleep, but whatever time it is in the morning there in China, I've got to imagine that you are um, definitely in different time zone than your physical surroundings. And, and Laura, you've come in from, from Canada, right? So yeah, thanks. this time around it was easy. <laughs> Thanks to both of you. Okay, so let's see. Th this will be recorded and it will be posted later tonight. I'm looking to see if we have any final questions. And I'm, I'm actually putting up, someone just asked about Twitter. We love Twitter. And I'm putting both my address and I'm putting our Think Global school address. Um, I think personally Twitter is the greatest thing probably since sliced bread. So uh, there is one thing I want to push back on a little, Aaron, and I'm curious about this because it's come up in other uh, interviews that we've done. If a student's really going to take responsibility for their own learning and ultimately their own presentation of themselves on the web, why give them a fixed portfolio software instead of letting them develop their own web presence? We're actually not. In fact, we've got this great thing called Spot. And uh, Mike Harahine, as you know, um, he's unfortunately on a plane right now. Maybe we can do another chat with him sometimes. Everything that we're doing at Think Global School is totally open source. So we're actually building Spot um, ourselves. And Mike's done great work moving this thing forward. And other schools and, uh, are going to be able to use what we do. Uh, we made a very conscious decision when we started TGS that everything was either going to be closed or everything was going to be open. So everything's going to be open. And kids are absolutely going to develop their portfolio. Laura, you're probably chomping at the bit a little bit. You can yeah. talk maybe a little bit more about that. Well, because that's one of the key things is our students are going to have portfolios. And from there, they're going to be sharing a lot of what they're learning along the way. Because we want them to connect with other students, ask a, you know, so other students can ask them how they do things, share the work that they're developing, what they're learning. I think one of the key things is to be uh, sharing along the way their perceptions about countries themselves. So it, it almost becomes like a learning library of their experience that they're sharing with the world of other students and uh, adults. So I think that's one of the, the probably most exciting things that we'll see unfold uh, and which will be very different. So it might be very fun, depending on your availability and the timing of what takes place in the school, to maybe even have a session with the students, say three to six months in, and to get a sense from them of what the experience is like and what you've learned as you've gone along the way. Okay, I'm going to clap again. I'm sorry to close this early tonight. Um, Deborah says, Steve, how about following them in the students sharing and illuminate? Yeah, that, of course. Anything in illuminate, I'm going to clap for, but they may have other plans. But whatever you can do, Aaron and Laura, uh, do know that I'm glad to make available resources to you if it's helpful. Thank um, you. Thank you. And, and uh, thanks so much for coming on tonight. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Again, thanks to Learn Central and Illuminate and to C. Bloom and Associates. Uh, Charlene provides the, the book budget for the interview series. And then don't forget, we've got sessions coming up. Um, any final words, Erin or Laura? Well, I would love for our students to, yes, I think that would be a great way to follow up and see it actually unfolding in, in live. Uh, that would be a great follow-up. I'd love that to happen.
Me too. I'll look forward Again, to it. What, wonderful to be here. Um, I, I know yeah. many of you who I've seen in the, in the thing, you're all doing fantastic work, and uh, we're working towards a common goal. Like I say, you know, we're a little part. Um, we're one paradigm. We're not the paradigm, and we'd love to work collaboratively with all of you. Thanks yep, for I'll what you're doing. Th thanks for being here, and thanks for what you're doing. Most appreciated. Thank you very much. Okay, so unfortunately I do have to leave quickly. So in order for the recording to process, you actually have to exit the room. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Uh, feel free just to click on the X at the top right of your screen or go to File and Exit, and we'll look forward to talking to all of you soon. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.